The title of the message is Let God Rescue in Keeping with the Rescue Value of Your Church. And with Let God Rescue You, you know, the very title, even though for you personally it might not uh, hit you wrong, the wrong way, at some time in your life, if someone said, hey, let God rescue you, tritely in any way, or for the people you work with, the family members that you love, or your personal friends, you say, let God rescue you, and immediately there's an internal shift of negativity that can oftentimes come up for each of us. My point is that when you say, I, I need rescued, and when you come to that place, um, there's a disturbance that goes on inside. Because there's a natural reaction for all of us that says, so why do I need rescued? And no one really needs to rescue me, right? And I'll be the first to let you know when I do need rescued. Um, I can honestly say that I find those words extremely comforting. But at the same time, I've had a lot of years to experience what God's personal rescue has been like in my own personal life. And so because of that, I come at it from a totally different perspective, right? Once you have known the kindness, patience, and love of God for you personally, what happens is it melts you and it opens you up to a willingness at a, all sorts of multiple levels to receive his rescue internally for yourself. But everyone's rescue begins somewhere. There's got to be a starting place. And what I realized as I was looking at this, that this opens, uh, this whole topic of let God rescue opens up for me the opportunity to share with you specific ways along the journey of my pathway with the Lord, how he has rescued me in multiple, multiple levels. And I want to share with you what those have been, very practically speaking. My spiritual rescue began actually when I was five. When my mother told me that Jesus wanted to live in my heart and walk with me every day and be with me in school. I used to be embarrassed at that. These days I thank God that someone allowed that opportunity for me. And I remember kneeling next to the couch in our living room and in a very childlike way saying, Jesus, I want you to be part of my life. At any point along your journey, you don't have to be five, you can be 55 or, or any age, it's important that the spiritual journey and the spiritual rescue begin at some point. Oftentimes, you know, we think that the kingdom of, in the kingdom of heaven, that God is trying to control our lives and take us someplace that we don't want to go. And so we close ourselves down and we won't open ourselves up to the idea that God might actually want to expand our lives and take us on a journey that is actually personally designed for who he knows we are deep inside of our hearts. So I would encourage you, if you have never, in a very simple childlike way, and when I say that, I don't mean childish. Childish is different than childlike. Childlike is an openness, an open space that allows something in that normally as adults we, we would guard. Childlikeness is about an open heart. So I would encourage you at any point along the journey that you invite and you make that personal invitation for Jesus to come alongside your life and rescue you spiritually. 
One thing that I find as a pastor that is a complete misconception is that um, so many people think that God wants to manipulate them. That God doesn't want you to have an option in the whole thing. And what I find particularly that is completely the opposite of that is I never see in Scripture where God makes anybody do anything. Like, it's funny that we all come to the Scripture and we think that we have this fear that God is going to take us someplace we don't want to go or do something in our lives that we don't want to be done. Instead, what we find in Scripture is that God invites us into a certain circumstance where he reveals himself to us in a very unique way, and then he waits for our response. And he doesn't make us do anything. Our response is our own choice. And I see that throughout Scripture, and I've seen that in my walk with the Lord as well. If anything, God doesn't make anybody do something. We always have an option and God's desire for us is a love relationship, not a controlling relationship. And you could never experience or have a love relationship with anyone if you didn't come open-handedly to the table. That is not love unless you can come with that sort of attitude. But with the need for rescue, there's all sorts of barriers that get in the way. The issue of pride for all of us is very real. You know, you can't live among the top 5% of the world's wealthiest population with lifestyles that truly do trump the elite of the entire human race for the last 100 years in history, be surrounded by tech companies that are the elite of the corporate powers of the entire world, and not struggle on some level with pride. We are surrounded by it with it, by it and if we think that it hasn't permeated us on some level, we're really fooling ourselves. Pride for all of us gets in the way at different angles. And God has to reveal to us where that is so that we can deal with it. There's a, um, there's a quote by John Sage. And it's this. John Sage was the former CEO of Pura Vida Coffee, which was Fair Trade Coffee a few years ago. And he says this, self-sufficiency is insufficient because it denies us of God's grace. All of us have the goal as an American culture of being self-sufficient. But there's something that we lose in that, a spiritual dynamic that we lose because it robs us of experience and living in God's grace. There's a passage in Jeremiah from Jeremiah chapter 9. And it says this, this is what the Lord says. It speaks directly to our pride. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast in their riches. But let those who boast boast about this, that they understand and know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. Do you find it a little surprising that in a scripture based really at the root of pride, God says, what I really want from you isn't anything except that, that you understand and know me. Again, it goes back to what I really want is this relationship that was lost back in Eden. When I had this intimate relationship with Adam and Eve, 
And really, I want to walk with you like what that represented years ago. But it cannot happen unless we do recognize and deal with our pride. I'm sorry to say, and yet I can't apologize for it, is in the 53 years that I've lived in Christianity and around spiritual formation, there is always a requirement on our part if we want to really experience God. And it's a posture of personal surrender. I have watched myself struggle with personal surrender. I have watched friends struggle with it. Sometimes it seems to be the last thing that we will actually lay down. But it is necessary if we want to experience a life-giving relationship with the living God. A posture of personal surrender. I want to share with you a couple ways, four different ways, that along the course of my journey with the Lord, He has personally met me and rescued me. I've already said that He caught me early at five as far as the whole spiritual thing. And I'm so grateful I mean, I do believe that I was spared a lot of things, but it didn't mean that I didn't struggle with a lot of the same problems and the same issues in my life that you have, depending on when you have met Christ along the way. But one was when I was 20 years old, I had an unusual health condition. This is where God rescued me physically. Like, physically, God got in my face and changed something where I became intertwined with the living God. I was 20 years old and my lung collapsed. That is not a big deal. But my lung wouldn't heal. And I sat for three weeks in the hospital at 20 years old with a lung that would not seal. And so as a result, they had to do surgery on my lung and cut me open. There was no laser surgery at that time. They cut me from here all the way around to my back, about 13 inches wide. The scar is still about this wide. And I went home and took about six months of recovery, and slowly got back on my feet. I was a sophomore in college at the time. Well, that's okay. You know, you live through things. Life is difficult for all of us, right? But four years later, at 24, the same thing happened to my other lung. Completely unexpected. This isn't something I could have have, um, prevented. It's a DNA problem. I was born with some a personal weakness that showed up in this form. And after a week of being in the hospital again, the doctor said, this isn't going to get any better. And we have to do the same thing. This time, I had all the memories of the first episode, right? I knew what I was going to go in for. I knew what I was in for. And I just became so personally despondent. And I said, God, what is this? You know, I didn't do anything to cause this. It's my own personal weakness that I deal with. And I sat in the hospital room, and I sent my parents home because I just didn't want to talk to anybody. I was hooked up to a machine, a lung machine, and there was a phone call that came through from a friend from Texas. And they said, Dave, they didn't know, they knew I was in the hospital. They didn't know the story of where I was at at that moment. They said, Dave, I've been praying for you all day. And you know what? Psalm 34 keeps coming to me. Why don't you open it up and read it? So I did. It was no big deal. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Half an hour later, the phone rings again. It's a friend from my local city. He says, Dave, I have been praying for you tonight. 
God keeps giving me Psalm 34 for you. I open my Bible. This is the Bible I had. This is 30, no, this is 30 years ago now. I open, this is Psalm 34. Let me show you what the words say. I will, in King James, because that's all I had. I will bless the Lord at all, yeah, there weren't all these versions at that time. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in thee, Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. For I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all of my fears. I put this on my chest and fell asleep. I woke up in the morning and the machine showed that my lung was still collapsed. I had about three hours before surgery. The nurse, those night nurses are crazy, you know. And she said, well, David, why don't you cough for me? Because when you cough, it goes into the machine. And I looked at her. I said, it doesn't look good. She said, oh, it's okay. You'll be fine. She just coughed for me. I coughed. Nothing went through that tube. Nothing. I looked at her. She looked at me. She called the doctors in. They took more x-rays. Somewhere along that night, the lung had sealed. I was delivered from, rescued from, another surgery that I was personally dreading. Physical, physical, practical rescue. I went home a very sick boy. I was not well. And it took me a long time to recover, but not from a major surgery. And to this day, the sweat on this page, the discolorization on this page means something to me. And it's like God said to me and said, let me know. It's like, David, I can meet you and I can rescue you in the midst of your fears. I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all of my fears. Once I went through the surgery, the other time I got spared. And to this, and never since then has my lung ever collapsed since that time. Career transition rescue. I haven't always been a pastor. My career was 18. I'm a preacher's kid who didn't ever want to actually work at a church, nor have my income come from a church. So I went investment banking. Doesn't that make sense? I guess it does, right? I was involved in the church, but just didn't want all the hassle of the people and the demands and like everyone thinking that they were paying your salary, etc. There was just like this negativity as a preacher's kid, right? So I ended up 18 years in the investment banking career. And about 17 years into it, I hit a wall and everything stopped working for me. I did the same thing. I worked on full commission. I worked the same way I had before. I knew how to drum up business and just everything I touched stopped working. It put me on my knees. This lasted an entire year where I said, God, what's going on? There are no new sins in my life that I'm aware of. So it's not, like, it's not like I have done something that I know of that is causing this. Why is this not working anymore? And it was like God was showing me, this is over. It's done. This is over. But I can say this honest to you and look you in the face. I did not know at that time that I was going to end up in ministry next. That was not clear to me. Could you do the next slide? This is me in... March of 2001, approximately 11 years ago, 
I came to visit uh, my cousin who lived in California. I'm from Milwaukee. And this photo was taken me at half, of me at Half Moon Bay at Venice Beach. It looks really happy. I keep the photo on my desk next to my computer. This was one of the most miserable times in my life. I was so discouraged, I did not know what I was going to do. And I prayed to God and I said, God, if you will show me what I'm supposed to do next, because I do not know what I'm supposed to do, and I feel like I am dying inside. Personally, I feel like a death is happening. If you will reveal to me what it is I'm supposed to do, I promise you, I will make every effort I can to get to where you have shown me. And I promise you, I don't know why I added this. I said, and I promise you, I won't base my decision on money. <laughs> now I wish I had changed that phrase. <laughs> right? I mean, I'm teasing, but really. I mean, I remember the prayer. Yeah, I remember the prayer, and I remember it's like, God, this time I won't make the decision about money, I promise. God revealed to me in about three weeks' time that ministry was it. It was such a surprise to me. And while I was on that beach, I picked up this seashell at the same time I found it. Pretty big for Half Moon Bay, I would say. But it looks like something's chomped right into it. It's completely broken apart and cracked. And I picked it up and I said, God, this is what I feel like. I feel like there's no way to put me back together. Like this has completely rocked me to a place where I can't get healed anymore. And God spoke to me and said, if this didn't get chopped off, you would never see all the beauty inside. You would never see what I have done inside. And in that, there was a message, when, since this was all tied to a career transition that took me across the country to the West Coast, I keep that on my desk because God said, don't you ever minister out of your strengths. This was a sign and a, and a mission, a, a message to me of what my ministry call was. It's like, don't you ever minister out of your strengths because it is in your weakness that I am made strong and I will shine and use you much more effectively in your weaknesses. That photo and this seashell sit next to my computer to remind me of that every day. Emotional rescue, spiritual, physical, work rescue, emotional rescue. There's one other story here I have to tell you. So I ended up in ministry 11 years ago at Menlo Park Presbyterian Church, and I started September 1st of 2011, 11 days before. And of course, we all know how the world changed on 9-11. Kevin, I think you were on staff at that time too. We had 185 people full-time on staff at the church at that time and a $20 million budget. Okay, kind of another era of time, right? I arrived 9-1, 9-11, everything starts to change. In three years, we went from 185 people on staff to 67 people on staff. The budget went from $20 million to $8.2 million. Okay, that gives you the idea of the dramatic change. So I'm starting a new career. I'm starting seminary because I don't have a seminary degree. My job has just changed about three times. The workload has about doubled. 
I've said goodbye to about 100 people that I'd worked with. I came depleted in the first place from a career transition. And I'm standing in the breezeway one day of church while people, thousands of people are passing by. And all of a sudden, I didn't know it, what it was at the time, but I realized later I was having a panic attack. And through the experience of all that I'd been through and what was happening, I realized something was going on that I had never experienced before. And that panic attack and the anxiety of that started to take me into a depression. And it's not like I haven't experienced depression before. But this was an experience of depression and anxiety at a level of which I had never personally had to fight against. And it, the wave came over me. I could not stay above the wave. It got me. I couldn't get it. This put me in a place where I needed to keep working. I needed to keep taking seminary classes. I, had a, I, I was doing a job that I needed a degree for, right, that I didn't have. And I needed to work. <clears throat> This put me in such a humble place like I have never been of the need for friends. The body of Christ, I'm telling you, God placed friends around my life. When I pray for people to guard your life, God will bring people that guard your life when you are the most vulnerable. He will love you in the middle of it through different, in different ways. And I experienced that. But still, I ended up in counseling, not the first time I've been in counseling, but I'm talking about where we had to dig deep like, what is it that is not broken in me to let life out again? And I was in such... This lasted for a good six, to, six months to a year of slow progression where six months in, I was saying, I need meds to keep going. I was not breaking through. And in this process there was a psalm that I held on to that God gave me. It's Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my heart, in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God, and many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in Him. If you study that psalm, you can go back to the first part. You know, I'm in a pit and I'm crying out, God, the cry is rescue me. What does God do? God gets in the slimy pit with you, right? And He lifts you out and puts you on a solid rock, strengthens your feet as you go, puts a new song in your mouth, Song of praise to our God. I mean, the whole, those whole three verses, that's just three verses. And it's all about from devastation to restoration. And it's a progression. And the ending statement is, and God gets the praise, and everybody sees it and knows, and, and, and people put their trust in the Lord as a result of seeing what we have gone through and what God has done. Personal rescue. In this this struggle, I want to just share with you what the where the breakthrough came, because this was a year process, and it cracked me open in such a way um, that I didn't want to be cracked open. 
It was not my desire. This was, like I said, it was just like a stripping, if you will. Psalm 139 is a psalm of very intimate personal relationship with God, between God and you. It's a, it's a wonderful psalm of intimacy. And there's a famous verse in it, which is verse 14, which says, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. You've probably heard the phrase used in other sermons, for you are fearfully and wonderfully made, right? Well, at that time, I was reading in my Bible. At that time, I was using the New Living Translation. Let me show you how the New Living Translation puts that. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. They went from just the thought, it was the thought. Yeah, you can just leave it up. From I am fearfully and wonderfully made to thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. The one thing I was cursing about myself was that I was so stinking complex. I could not get to the core to get it straightened out. And in this, in just this one verse, in the middle of this dark, dark pit that I found myself in, it's like God spoke to me and said, I made your complexity. I designed you in such a way that you would get cracked open. This is my design. Don't you dare lift the complexity out of your life or try to figure it out or make it all fit because it is in your complexity that I can do my best work. And it is in your complexity that I actually shine the brightest. It was one of those things where you kind of like get a breakthrough I know it's hard to describe what that might have felt like, but for me it was like, if you say so, okay. I don't quite understand that, God, but if you say so, okay. And from that time, there was just this slow progression back into life. One thing I want to make clear that I believe strongly and that is, when God cracks you open, and that's over, so often what we do and the way we're designed in our culture is we put everything back together. We, we clean up the mess. We piece it back together. We try to make, I can't, I can't, you get my point. I really think we're supposed to leave it open. I don't think we're supposed to let that just heal over. I think it's actually the blessing that we give to one another. And it's actually the best way that God shines through us. When we have been personally rescued by God, whether it be spiritually, whether it be physically, whether it be in our work, whether it be in our emotions, and God meets us, we're supposed to keep those doors open. Why? Because you know what? It points us in the direction of our calling where we best serve each other, where we best minister and help one another, and where our lives actually experience the purpose that we keep asking for all the time. How many people do you know that say, I just want to live a purposeful life? Well, it's living in the crack 
that actually where the purpose is found. And that's not real comfortable for our culture, but it's where God asks us to stand. And when we do that, our communities of faith shine much brighter and healing starts to happen back and forth across this room in different ways. There's a spiritual principle in the Benedictine uh, tradition, and that is you never come to know God better without coming to know yourself better. Like there's no revelation of God that ever happens unless there's a revelation of yourself going on at the same time. And it's in the revelation of who you are, it's actually God revealing to you who you are, that you experience who God is, and it's in that actual experience where God is made known. Somewhat mysterious, but it's still this thought. I believe that it is in our rescue experiences that actually God reveals to us who we are and we actually come to honestly know then who God is. Rather than what someone has told us who God is all of our lives or thrown some verses at it, we come to this personal where, where there's sweat on the page and God is very real and cannot be denied anymore no matter how confusing or challenging life might become. So my question to you is very simple. So today, where do you need rescued? Is it spiritual? Is it physical? Is it work? Is it emotional? My story, you know, it took 53 years to get here. But my story says that it doesn't matter. God will meet you whatever area of rescue that you really need. And I am willing to pray with you tonight afterwards for whatever that rescue might be. And I'm sure others are here that will as well. Now, if I may pray for you. I'm going to pray scripture over you from Ephesians chapter 3. Now, Lord... May God, from his glorious, unlimited resources, fill you with mighty inner strength through the Holy Spirit. May Jesus become more and more at home in your hearts as you learn to trust in him. May the roots of your lives grow deeply, deeply into the soil of God's marvelous love for you, that you might begin to comprehend how wide and long how high and how deep the love of God actually is. And may you experience the love of Jesus, although in this life you will never fully comprehend it, in order that, in order that, in order that, you might be filled with the fullness of his life and his power that comes from knowing Almighty God. Amen.